episode 58, the Annex Wealth Management SWAT podcast today, Monday, July 3rd, strengths, weaknesses, opportunities, and threats. It's insight and perspective from members of the Annex Wealth Management Investment Committee. Studio today, Ken Bellinger, senior trader. Welcome. Good morning. And we got Matt Morsey, investment team manager. Good morning to you. Good morning. Well, I want to thank everybody for listening, um, for all those that come back week after week. Thank you for subscribing, listening, sharing with others. We enjoy making these, and we thank you for spreading that word. With that, Ken, why don't we jump into what's coming up this week? Sure. So it's a, a holiday week, but there's actually a decent amount of economic data being released this week. So today we've got a small uh, slew of manufacturing data here. Uh, we've got the U.S. manufacturing PMI, which is expected to come in about 46.3, which is flat versus last month, but really still at a post-pandemic low. ISM manufacturing expected 47.2, which is up a little bit versus prior, but really at the lowest levels we've seen in 20 years, if you exclude the great financial crisis and the, the pandemic. Then on the fifth, we've got factory orders and durable goods. Uh, on the sixth, mortgage applications and then lots of job data. We've got ADP employment, which is expected to fall to about 240,000. Jobless claims, which is expected to be up slightly, 245 versus 239 prior. And then jolts at about 9.9 million versus 10.1 prior. So also expected down a little bit. And then finally on the seventh, we've got non-farm payrolls, which is expected to decline a bit. And then the unemployment rate, which is actually expected to remain about 3.6. So really low historically. I mean, as a sub point, at least something I like to follow is the U6, which includes unemployed and underemployed. So part-time folks that would be full-time if they could. And that's still at 6.7, which is really near historic low. So job market remains strong. With that, should we jump into strengths? Yeah, sounds great. So biggest strength, and I think we've, we've talked about it almost every single week this year, is the overall performance of the equity markets, specifically the large cap growth area. The first half of the year, the Nasdaq's up almost 40%. S&P up over 15, yet small caps, specifically using the Russell 2000s, up only seven. So we've talked about breadth a lot throughout the year that there's a divergence in the markets. Large cap growth has been great. Everything else has been okay. And that, that divergence there is really held up by just a few companies that are that have made up that NASDAQ 100 that have really kind of pushed those, kind of those magnificent seven, as, as they've called it so far this year. Those large cap names have done really well. You know, we've talked a lot about that throughout the, the year in terms of where that breath is. And we really need to start to see the market start to consolidate a little bit in terms of trying to move in one direction to really give us the information we need to see where we're going. Talking about market concentration, some of these indices, you know, really 24% of the S&P is now just in five stocks, which is the highest you've seen in 35 years. And that's currently, as we sit, uh, Apple, Microsoft, Amazon, NVIDIA, and Alphabet. So really with the strong run uh, to open the year, we're seeing a lot more concentration in those top names. Talk about the resiliency of the rally, as you just mentioned. This is really going to either rely on the average stock catching up or the kind of these leaders fading um, a little bit as we look forward. So we've been positioning our portfolios to perform well in you know, either case. Yeah, that's really important. And we'll talk about that throughout the the podcast in terms of portfolio positioning. And, you know, you can look backwards and see what's done well, what hasn't, um, and how well you've done during that time period. Well, what's really important is how are you positioning for that going forward? Are you positioned to be on offense and hit the gas thinking that the rally's going to continue? Or are you positioning it to be a little bit more conservative and weather a storm that might be coming up? And when you create that portfolio allocation, you want to make sure that you're going to get some parts that are going to do well in either of those scenarios because you don't exactly know which one's going to come through but you want to make sure that you're you're in the right spot there. With that, let me jump over to weaknesses here. The first one, which really was kind of a strength of the market last week, was these these bank stress tests. You know, we saw a lot of the, the major financials jump on the news last week that everyone uh, you know really tested well. But what this doesn't do is alleviate any of the concerns for the smaller and, and mid-sized banks. This is really just a test for the, the larger AUM banks out there. 
I think to me it's kind of also a risk or a threat as well too when you think from a perspective of we've seen the issues in our financial sector so far this year from the small and mid-sized banks. It's not those large banks like JP Morgan or Bank of America that are posed to problems that created volatility early in the year. It's those smaller banks that weren't capitalized in the right way. They were taking too much risk out of the yield curve, you know, going too far on that yield curve in order to get some interest and not positioning themselves correctly. So the stress tests really don't help in that environment. It really helps prevent another 08. Uh, which is something that we clearly don't see coming up anytime soon. So you're, you're protecting yourself against something that might not happen or might not happen for a long time, but you're not watching to see what's the thing that's actually starting to crack right now. Yeah, and the problem really, uh, when we think about this, the small and mid cap banks, is you know, those are really heavily invested in, in commercial real estate and in your small business lending um, pretty specifically. So as those banks you know tighten their balance sheet to kind of try and weather the storm, you would expect to see loan availability decline. And I think we've already been seeing that in you know, previous data points. Yeah, I add another weakness in there too, that although the equity market has done extremely well, and again, focusing on those large cap growth area of the market is that flows have really not followed that. Uh, we've actually seen a lot more money go into money markets, which frankly, something we've talked about on this podcast for basically since we started it, is that there's that opportunity on that short end of that curve to get in a higher interest rate. And that's really where money's flowed. We've seen $540 billion move into the money into money markets over the last four months compared to only 130 billion that's moved into equity ETFs and fixed income ETFs, and it's kind of about split 50-50 in that number there. So, so many more people are putting money into the, those money markets and they're not throwing money into the risk markets. That actually dovetails nice really into opportunities here. And really where we continue to see opportunity is in those money markets and in the short end of the yield curve. Um, you know, the money markets are yielding just short of 5% you know, next day liquidity. So for those really short-term cash needs, it's an excellent place to Hide's not even the right word, but really just sit there and collect interest. And then similarly, the one and two year T-bills, the one year's yielding 5.4% as we sit this morning, the two years at 4.94%. So you've got the ability to lock in those rates for you know, your shorter term cash needs that you may have at really attractive rates. And also you know, something we might want to start thinking about longer term is, although the yield curve remains inverted and those longer term rates are hovering below where the short term rates are, at some point you're going to want to lock in some long term rates because it's Eventually, the Fed begins to cut, which is not something expected necessarily this year, but certainly coming forward, we're expecting some pretty rapid declines in 2024. The ability to lock in those long-term rates and profit off of the, the price gain that you're going to see as those yields come down, certainly something we see as an opportunity. Yeah, and I kind of think of those two things in, in context of what are you doing from a portfolio position standpoint, but also kind of like a balance sheet position standpoint as well, too. When you think of money that you have yourself, you've got money that you have in your checking account and savings account. And one great thing to do really on a pretty frequent basis is, is look through and how much money do you really need to have in the bank? What do you need to have as a liquid? A daily amount to have in your checking account to pay your bills for short-term things that are going to come up in the next month. You know you're going to write a tuition check. You know you're going to have to buy a car. You know you're going to have to put a down payment on a house. And that's going to come up in the next week or two. So you need to make sure that that's really liquid. Once you start going out a little bit further than that, things that you're saving for the next six months, year, two years, you should start really looking to see how much interest are you getting. If you're getting a half a percent of interest at your bank, which is probably actually higher than what you are getting at your bank account right now, you know, looking at a money market and something that's daily liquid, that's high safe because it's investing in short-term treasuries in order to get that yield, you know, that's a great way to kind of dip your toe in that water and look at, you know, some of the custodians that we work with who are able to access money markets that have that, that higher yield and put your toe in the water and start to do that. 
once you start going a little bit further out on that and you go, hey, you know, I know for certain I'm not going to need this money for six months, nine months, 12 months. A T-bill is a great place to do that. Lock in exactly what your rate is going to be. Hold that to maturity. And then you've got that cash and, and then you've got that to, to use to spend on whatever that was going to be. And then when you're looking a little bit longer term of your overall asset allocation, then you're starting to look at, okay, where am I positioned against, you know, whether it's your fixed income benchmark of the aggregate bond index and going, where do I want to position along that curve? Do I want to be short term or long term? And right now might be that time to start pushing a little bit further out from a duration standpoint against the egg. With that, we'll move to threats here. And the first one that really warrants some discussion here is the cost of debt. Pre-pandemic, I know there was a lot of discussion about the government issuing you know, 50 or even 100 year treasuries and decided against that. So now we're going to start issuing some longer term debt here in August and really, unfortunately, locking in the higher rates for longer at a time where rates are probably set to decline long term here. Yeah, you mentioned that although we don't believe that the Fed's going to cut this year at all, and the market's now starting to price out that it's going to be next year instead of this year, which is always kind of a moving target from a, a market thought process standpoint there. But as they do lock in longer rates, and if the Fed does start to cut next year, they are locking at a rate that's a little bit higher than what they're going to get at the market. But you really want to look at that from a perspective of how much of our budget is going towards covering that interest cost, and really what is the government doing in order to manage that expense. And you're right, going out to 50 or 100 years, I'm not sure what the the appetite would have been at that point for from an investor standpoint, but from a government standpoint, that would have been a fantastic opportunity to get historic record low interest rates to be able to fund the, the excessive spending that we have. You know, from a threat standpoint as well, too, you know, as we look back to our conversation opportunity standpoint, we look at what that Fed cutting starts to do to the, what those interest rates are. So when you're starting to think of those shorter term treasuries, the one year, two year, you when you're buying that, if it's for a specific reason, like I was saying earlier, you know you're going to have a purchase you're going to need to make and you want to set this money aside and get a yield on it. But if you're doing it from a portfolio standpoint, you need to know what or what you believe you're going to be able to reinvest that in when that becomes due. And if it's less than what you think it's going to be, especially if the Fed starts to cut, you know you want to position that portfolio in a way to be able to take advantage of that, that lower yield at that point in time. And that's another reason why we'd want to extend out further past the egg right now. Yeah, absolutely. And just to throw some quick numbers behind it, you know, currently the market's expecting one to two more hikes kind of through the end of this year, but then it's pricing in five to six by January 25. So really a quick reversal where you're seeing you know, 25 basis point cuts at several points throughout 2024. That said, the further out you go, the less accurate those forecasts go, right? But uh, that's currently what the market's anticipating. Yeah, it's almost like they're they're anticipating, you know, we talk about V markets from a stock market perspective, right? The market goes straight down and comes straight back up again, like COVID. It's almost like they're, they're anticipating the opposite or the inverse of that from an interest rate standpoint. The Fed started to raise rates, shot straight up in a, in a pretty fast line, and all of a sudden they're just expecting them to turn and just come straight down afterwards. So that's yeah. a pretty interesting environment to be in. And I think that kind of tails into our, our next threat, which you know we see creating a lot of volatility the second half of the year, which is that we've got a divergent central bank policy, you know, in terms of when you look across the entire world. U.S. is pausing, skipping, but most likely going to raise a little bit more. Europe is still full go on, we just had a 50 basis point increase a week or so ago. And then China's actually cutting in order to stimulate their economy too. So we've got one area that's full go pushing rates higher. We're in that middle, not quite sure exactly what we're going to do. And China's kind of pulling back at the same time. And that's going to create a lot of volatility. With that volatility really comes you know, a lot of opportunity, right? You know, when you think about, as you mentioned before, portfolio kind of diversification and rebalancing and you know, the benefits of active management as all these pieces kind of continue to play out over the long term here. Um, 
China is certainly stimulating, although thus far it hasn't looked to have a great effect on their economy, which is something to continue to monitor as well. But yeah, it seems like all of the central banks, which are kind of moving in lockstep, are starting to diverge here a little bit from each other, which isn't necessarily a bad thing. I think it's a lot more reflective of what's going on within the individual countries, but it certainly provides opportunities for investors. Yeah, I think we've been in an environment where we've just expected or have lived through kind of the, the entire globe trying to move in the same direction at the same time. You know, that, that certainly happened after the financial crisis where all the federal banks were stimulating the economy as much as they possibly could. Same thing after COVID, everybody was rushing to create liquidity and, and put money into the financial system. So everybody was kind of moving that same direction. And now that we're moving in different routes, that's going to create a lot of opportunity from a global diversification standpoint. For the most part, the US, especially the stock market has just trounced the, the rest of the world since the financial crisis. We've seen that over the last year, year and a half, not be the case where it's kind of moving in, in different directions. Uh, for a little while, international looked like it was starting to pick up, you know, a little bit of momentum there. But what we're going to start to see now is that we're not all moving in the same direction. And it's not necessarily just the U.S. pushing past everybody else that we're going to see opportunities at different places. It's important to know what your benchmark is or what you're trying to manage against from a portfolio allocation standpoint. And from an overweight, underweight perspective, you know, it's probably that time where you can see a lot more opportunity outside the U.S. Pick your spots, though, when you do that and make sure you understand the risk that you're taking in different areas. And also a great time, like you said, for active management, not only actively managing your own portfolio and getting that allocation that you want there, but using active managers to be able to find that opportunity in different parts of the world, especially where they've got areas of expertise. One last quick note I'll throw in there on, on energy, which has been you know extremely weak year to date. Should we start to see a reversal in economic activity? You know, the Saudis announced that they're maintaining their one billion barrel a day reduction. Russia's cutting an extra surprise 500,000 barrels a day. And really, in any long-term economic recovery, you're going to start to see those prices act as a bit of a headwind, especially with global in- inventories remaining as low as they are currently. I mean, actually, one interesting note that kind of came out over the weekend is you've seen China really lock in really long-term net gas contracts going out to 2045. 2050. So they're really starting to try and secure their long-term energy at these reduced rates, which in my mind is a bullish indicator, but time will tell. Let's check our headlines, guys. Headline strength? Market strength, specifically the equity market strength and large cap growth. Headline weakness? Small to mid-sized banks and potential Fed hikes. Headline opportunity? Increased yields using for appropriate cash management, but also opportunity to change your fixed income allocation. And our headline threat? Divergent central banks. Ken Bellinger, Senior Trader. Thank you. Thank you, Danny. Matt Moore is the Investment Team Manager. Thank you. Thank you, sir. This is the Annex Wealth Management SWAT Podcast, Episode 58. Annex Wealth Management, LLC, is a registered investment advisor. For more information about our firm, please visit AnnexWealth.com. The information in this podcast is for educational and entertainment purposes only and is subject to change without notice. The opinions expressed are those of the participants and don't necessarily reflect on those of Annex Wealth Management, LLC. Information presented should not be construed as tax, legal, or investment advice, or a recommendation or a solicitation for the sale of any product or strategy. Listeners are encouraged to seek advice from qualified professionals to determine whether any information presented may be suitable for their specific situation. Investments involve risk. Neither Annex Wealth Management, LLC, nor its podcast participants shall be liable for losses resulting from decisions based on information or viewpoints presented on this podcast.